Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hey, welcome to part two of a three-part series featuring senior expert for corporate knowledge management and the lead of the European Space Agency's Lessons Learned team, Andrew Hurd. Andrew, thanks for coming back for another episode of podcast here at Pioneer Knowledge Services. And the good news is we're going to talk about knowledge management, which is kind of kind of a cool thing. So how did you fall into knowledge management? Okay, so apart from uh, the background that I talked about in the previous podcast, um, I was working in uh, standardization, so creating uh, sets of requirements for the space domain. And as part of the office that I was working in, they had a responsibility for knowledge management. Because of my background, I was very interested and I asked whether I could have some responsibility for this. And the first thing that I was assigned was lessons learned. Because uh, many times, and I think it's a compliment, I've been accused to be an academic. Uh, I, of course, then go and do, go and do the research. And uh, we found out about the tools that had been produced but were not used, about uh, policies been created, and about uh, the really good work that was being done in the agency, in the European Space Agency, by individual lights, people who felt committed to engineering, they liked writing things down, they liked the concept of learning. And so there were some really good reports to look at, but equally, there were some individuals who clearly had the experience. And when you talk to them, they could give you that feedback, but they simply didn't have the space, either the time or the space in their minds to be able to capture that. Basically all led on from that that initial assignment. So you talked about a few things that must've really made a motivation in you to change the environment, change the culture, some of the divots or some of the gaps that you just talked about. When talking knowledge management to an organizational leadership level where you've got a chief information officer, uh, operations officer, whatever those terms are at the top, uh, when you talk about those types of inefficiencies that cost money, you know, those were resources spent, those were, in your example, the, the one individual that just loves to put everything in writing and build these reports, that's a two-way drop. That's a two-way miss there because it's an individual that just likes to do it. So there's nothing systemic across the organization where everybody's doing the same thing. So you've got one contributor out of how many. And just because one producer makes content doesn't mean anybody's looking at it. Exactly. Because either they didn't know about it or they don't know how to get to it or they can't get to it. So from that experience, what was the next thing you built or challenged? Or I think there were basically two reflections, if you like, one major reflection, and then also something happened in the organization. There is nothing like good timing and opportunity. <laughs> so having seen that within the organization, you know, dedicated individuals were spending their time, it then reminded me of my research. And in uh, my research, I created a model that basically said that if I have an organization and I add to that, I overlay to that organization an innovation, something has to happen. Either the organization rejects the innovation completely and the organization doesn't change at all. In other words, there's this 
interim period where they're trying to introduce it, and then nothing happens. The organization remains the same. No gain, no loss, or at least in theory, no gain, no loss. The other, which is the one that you want to see, is where the innovation is overlaid the, the organization and the organization adopts it. And there you get the benefit of the innovation in the organization and the organization grows with the innovation and indeed the innovation may itself grow. However, the third model is not where you want to be necessarily because it's what you described. Basically, it's where the innovation is laid over the organization and the commitment of the organization is high enough that they don't want to throw it away. So they try to adopt it again. But the adoption fails, and therefore, the organization, the innovation, start fluxing. If you like, there's an adoption period where it doesn't stick. They then try to commit more. It doesn't work. And basically, you end up in the situation you described, where individuals are trying to make it work. There is inefficiency in the system, and it's this flux where it doesn't quite fit, and it should. So with that in my mind, knowing what was going on in the organization, it then fit with some, let's say, some good timing or some uh, synergistic timing, let's put it that way, because within the European Space Agency, we have a retirement wave. So back in the late 80s, early 90s, there were some very significant investments in the space uh, industry within, within Europe, and therefore we recruited a lot of people. 35 years later on, those individuals are retiring. And so ESA is faced with a retirement wave. And as you can imagine, it then tied into my previous uh, concept of if we're going to have a retirement wave, we're going to have a recruitment wave and therefore going to need to be able to take individuals who are very new novices through the phases, secondary, duty, and we want them to be primaries where they're really learning and applying their skills. And for those who have success, they can then become these uh, education influentials, these opinion leaders. And so we applied that concept. And so the combination of understanding what was happening in the organization, understanding that you need it at the individual level and the organizational level, that we needed justification from the organization, but we also needed resources. This whole model came together for an overall concept of knowledge management. Now, that's something that I applied locally within my directorate because I was appointed the lead of knowledge management in my directorate. And then because of the experience and, in fact, some successes that we had, I was then able to work with the corporate layer to then help the other directorates as well. So that was a, a beneficial it sounds very rapid, but it took about uh, four years to get to that point. It's amazing that you got to that point because there's a lot of stories out there of efforts that die on the vine because either leadership changes or priorities change or, you know, what have you. So th thank goodness you're right. The opportunity and, and timing was, was impeccable for what you did. Would you say then now the organization is more of a learning organization than it was? Everything you talked about was individual and, and raising that person up to different levels of awareness and, and uh, abilities you know, wherever they're at. Do you have a mentorship model also? Do you get the shadow, the exiting people with the replacement people? Is there any kind of overlay there? That's coming for sure. To answer your question about a learning organization, I would like to think so. And what I, I hear is more people using that term. And But one thing that I really want to stress is 
I don't ever try to sell knowledge management. It's a name that people don't understand, and it sounds like something else they have to do and something that might just disappear in two or three years' time. What, what we try to do is to give them the benefits. Mm. That's the important thing. Stress the benefits and the outcome and get those in their everyday processes as opposed to a new tool or a new product to use. Try to get it in the everyday of what they're doing already. And part of it, too, is that you're introducing this concept at the front end. You're introducing it at the onboarding, at the hiring. There's a model already conceived and presented at the beginning of a person's career or length of time in the organization. And I think that's the critical piece to making a learning organization responsive is that the people coming in have to have that behavioral anticipation that they have to engage, you know, and that goes back to that motivation piece that uh, they have to participate in order to help the organization. Absolutely. And uh, I have to be realistic here. We are getting there. Um, you know, we, we really, what? You, you know, you, 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 oh, uh, we're all done. Uh, yep, we're, we're done. All right, all right. Let's launch. Let's go to lunch. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So there are several things we're doing. Yes, for sure. When uh, they come on board, we are giving them uh, newcomers awareness. We're giving them uh, newcomers training. And a lot of that is to do with just how to do business with an ESA because we're a complex organization. Uh, we need to equip people with, with those tools. But one of the things we need yeah. to show them we are highly receptive to is the questions. You know, hang on. In my old organization, we used to do it this way. Why Why are we not doing it this way? Surely, ESA, we work in space. We do everything at the forefront. You know, a lot of things, yes, we do. But some of the things uh, we are learning. And in fact, when we set out with knowledge management, the first thing we do is we looked outside. What's going on outside? There were good models within other uh, national space agencies. There were good models in from Europe. Clearly, we looked at uh, the US as well, but we looked at industry. Obviously, we took reference from some fairly high-level consultants to make sure that we were heading in the right direction. But as always, and you'll hear this often, the organization I work for, uh, it is fairly unique. Uh, yes, it is a bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And so there are nuances, subtle but really important nuances that you need to take into consideration. So you need to understand why the organization is responding in a certain way, indeed why it isn't. Is a non-response a negative input? And quite often it isn't. And you talked about people being busy. Yeah, we are really trying to address that concept because of, uh, let's say, organizational constraints. It's very challenging for us to recruit an overlap. So with the retirement, we mm. actually have to have the resources available. Um, and that's an ongoing thing. We've basically decided that really there should be, everybody should do knowledge management, not just those that are leaving the organization. It should be an embedded yeah. on ongoing activity. But clearly we need to produce product. You know, we are, we are problem solvers. That's primarily what we do. Very highly complex problems. Otherwise, someone else would be doing it uh, on our behalf for half the price. So, uh, and uh, we, we do a very good job at that. But yeah. it means that our individual experts are highly in demand. Mm. And also, we now want them to spend time with their knowledge. We are getting there, as I say. And a lot of it is not only the message that you can do this, but getting the individual 
to walk into their office or as we are today, because these are incredibly challenging times working remotely uh, under the pressures of COVID to say today, when I switch on my computer, I am going to write down my knowledge. And I try to hark back to the old concept of engineering, where engineering meant you wrote something down. Uh, it wasn't just that you gave someone a bullet point in an answer, yeah, but you could yeah. give your justification. You could link to the papers that you used or the journal or the, the reference manual, and you had time to do that. And I think we are slowly, slowly turning the corner. But to be very clear, this is out of necessity. Mm. It's simple necessity. We have well, to do That's a great this. way to end this episode in that knowledge management is responsibility not in the fact that it is something good to do but your organization's survival and thriving and innovation depend on a culture that shares its knowledge and you've talked about a, a very solid point and that's that idea that the day's busy you get you get busy and then you're like well you know i'll i'll, I'll write that up tomorrow or uh, I'll, yeah, and then a week goes by and then half the stuff that you should have wrote down, you forgot because you just moved on. And I think that's a framework that makes it very difficult for some to think of, how do I capture what I'm doing? How do I, how do I export that? And I'll just say this is that in my time in the army, they gave very clear acronyms and mnemonics to be able to make it easier to think of the details you need to capture and transfer. And I think that's one of the key ingredients is you want to make it easy for everybody. You don't want to make it cumbersome. What are you guys doing to make it easy? Well, I think maybe that's the topic of the next podcast because okay. uh, we're, we're going to be talking about lessons learned. And that's something that we focused on really significantly. And I think we've had some good, good successes. We'll catch that all up in the next episode. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.